Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Please note, this episode was recorded before the announcement that involuntary manslaughter charges will be brought against Alec Baldwin and Hannah Gutierrez-Reed. It's October 21st, 2021, and the small indie Western film called Rust is shooting a pivotal scene. Alec Baldwin, the film's star and producer, is getting ready to perform a cross-draw, a quick movement where he has to take his gun, a Colt 45 revolver, from the holster, pull the hammer down, and point straight to camera in one fluid motion. Very difficult maneuver even for an experienced marksman, and Baldwin needs to perform it all with the grace of a seasoned Western gunslinger. The cameras get into position and Baldwin does a practice run before they start rolling. This is the moment when tragedy strikes. Alec Baldwin has fired a gun loaded with real ammunition, striking the director Joel Souza and killing DP Helena Hutchins. I'm Sarah Azari and this is Death by Fame, Rust. Welcome to Death by Fame, the companion podcast of The Price of Glee and Death by Fame on ID and Discovery Plus, hosted by me, Sarah Azari, criminal defense lawyer in Los Angeles. I have represented big criminal cases at the state and federal level, and I've seen the special brand of crime and scandal that thrives in Hollywood firsthand. These are crimes fueled by ambition, addiction, jealousy, and the quest for fame itself. Today, we're talking about the tragic accident on the set of Rust. A lot of safety measures need to be in place in order for a gun to be used safely on set. And one of the key pieces of the safety is the on-set armor. Their sole responsibility is ensuring that a gun, be it a prop gun or a real gun, is safe to use on set. A lot of things went wrong on this film. To help us out, I'm going to quickly run through the facts as I know them of what happened on that tragic day. Hannah Gutierrez-Reed was the armorer on the set of Rust. She's young, but is the daughter of Thel Reed, whose own career as an armorer spans decades. 
According to Gutierrez-Reed, she loaded the gun with dummy bullets, essentially bullets that have no gunpowder in them. The gun was in her possession for most of the day on set, except for a 15-minute window where she didn't have it in her sight. AD David Hall picks up the prop gun laid on a table by Gutierrez-Reed. He yells, cold gun, which essentially means the gun does not have any live rounds in it, and then hands it to Alec Baldwin. Alec Baldwin pulls the hammer, injuring one person and killing another on set. Today, I'm joined by Steve Wolf, a well-regarded prop master and weapons expert who has worked across TV and film in Hollywood. Together, we'll take you through the ins and outs of exactly what went wrong on the set of Rust. Welcome to our podcast, Steve. Thank you so much, Sarah. Steve, you've been the president of Wolf Stunt Works and founder of Signs in the Movies. You've been producing film, TV, and live events for over two decades. Please tell us more about yourself in more detail and tell our listeners about your background. I was a uh, Shakespeare major (laughs) and a at-home scientist. I hated science in school, but I really loved learning about how the universe works, about physics, about chemistry. And so I studied on my own. And when I went to go to work, I thought the most exciting place to apply this would be working in special effects. Mm. So I became a special effects coordinator had the good fortune to work very early in my career on a Tom Cruise movie called The Firm. And once you have Tom Cruise at the beginning of your resume, you know, the rest comes pretty easily. Mm, it helps. Yeah, it definitely right? helps. Yeah. So, TC to the rescue. Right. So I've worked on, you know, 50 or 60 feature films, numerous episodic shows, commercials. Mm. I did Whitney Houston's music videos. So it's been quite exciting. I've Interesting. Done a lot of Firearms handling, obviously, a lot of explosions, blowing up cars is my specialty. It's been a lot of fun. Blowing up cars on movie sets. Yes. Okay. And tell me about your experience with guns on set and shooting scenes. Yeah. So firearms are used pretty regularly in film now, right? I mean, it's rare that you see a movie that doesn't have guns in it. So it's very important that Guns are handled safely on movie sets. Mm -hmm. I teach the actors how to handle the guns safely. And then I supervise them while they're handling the guns to make sure that they stay on track with what was learned. So obviously, Steve, we're here to talk about Rust today and the shooting on the set of Rust that killed Helena Hutchins. Now, you know, one shooting, one fatality is one too many. Obviously, nobody should be killed on the set of a movie. But... How often do these accidental shootings happen in your experience? They happen extremely seldom, which is still too often. So I'm aware of three or four fatalities that resulted from the mishandling of firearms on movie sets. That is too many, but relative to the amount of screen time that guns are given and the number of shots fired in the course of movie, which is in the multi-millions, the safety ratio, it's you know, fairly it, low. It is very good. Yeah. I mean, because for the most part, people understand the rules and they follow them. What types of guns are brought onto set for shooting scenes? Ideally, prop guns. So prop guns started life as real guns and then were physically modified and engineered such that you can only introduce blanks to them and you cannot put live ammo in them. And when those guns are brought on set, the worst danger is an injury caused by a blank. Prop guns don't discharge bullets, okay? 
prop guns are designed only detonate a blank. So, so I have a lot of questions about that. Yeah. So, th- so a prop gun looks real. Absolutely. It was at some point a real gun. Yes, it right? was. So let me ask a stupid question. Why would you not use a prop gun on him? Why would you need a real gun? Many cases, these kind of decisions are made for budgetary or convenience reasons. That real guns are plentifully available. You can find any make model caliber you want. You don't have to pay someone to re-engineer it, to render it safe. And so there's a lot of shortcuts being taken at the expense of safety. This is not to say that a real gun could not be used safely under the supervision of a knowledgeable armor or weapons expert. Someone is checking the gun, making sure that it's actually blanks in there, that the gun is always pointed in a safe direction. It can be done safely, but why take the risk? Right. I mean, I know that you said the risk in terms of safety is very low to the revenue that movies generate in Hollywood. But given that there is a safe option, I I keep and I've been questioning this ever since this rust shooting happened. Like, why not use a prop gun? I understand it's a cost issue, like you mentioned, but movies make millions of dollars like in terms of ratio speaking of ratio that cost to the revenue is also very low ratio and and i just feel like if if we can take that one little step to ensure that people aren't going to get killed i think it's worth whatever the extra cost is very few people go to a movie to look at the reality of the firearm If that's what they're paying attention to, the script needs a lot of help. If you're doing what you can to keep the set safe and you're using dummy rounds or you're using blanks, then what else do you need to do to make sure you don't cause a fatality with dummy rounds? So a dummy round could not cause a fatality because there's no gunpowder in it. A blank can cause a fatality if it's at close range or an injury at a medium range because it can still shoot debris out of the gun. So not a bullet. But you could have pieces of the casing break off. You could have gunpowder come off. You could have the material that was used to hold the gunpowder in place come out. So stuff comes out. It could get in your eye or take an ear off with the muzzle blast. So you can get severely injured. So you could have a, a severe injury. Let's say I was an armor on a set. If I picked up a round, looks just like a real round, but I want to make sure it's a dummy round. Is the best test to shake it to see if it rattles? The dummy round does not have a live primer and it does not have gunpowder in it. And often it'll have holes, little holes drilled into the sides of the casing and BBs put into it where the gunpowder would be so that you can shake it and you can hear that there's no powder in there. Okay. And what about blanks? What are blanks? So a blank uses three out of the four components of live ammo. A blank uses a primer, which is a shock sensitive impact driven explosive. It has a brass casing and it has gunpowder in it, which makes a loud noise when it goes off, but it does not have a bullet on the end of it. The end is either crimped or tamped and a a plug put into it. So on Rust, though, it was a live round, but the defense of the people that carry some liability here is that, oh, we thought these were dummy rounds. We never brought live rounds on set, right? And so that brings me to the next question is, 
Is there ever a situation where live rounds are allowed on set? There actually are. So there are times when we are documenting what a live round does. And the only way to do that is with a live round. It's just like it's safe for, you know, 100 people to go to a pistol range and shoot live ammo. As long as everyone follows the rules, nobody gets hurt. And if the spectators happen to have movie cameras, that doesn't change anything. So it's certainly possible to film people using live ammo. It can be done safely. The safety rules are don't point guns at things that you don't want to see holes in. Keep your finger off the trigger until your sights are on the target. Be sure of your target and what's beyond it, etc. So if you follow these rules, it doesn't really matter what's in the gun. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. In scenarios where you do use a live round, right, is it mostly when you're outside in a field uh, or would you use a live round in this church or chapel that Alec Baldwin was in filming? You certainly would not. Alec says he was being coached as to where to point the gun. 
because the DP wanted to see the gun held at a given angle. If that angle caused the gun to be pointed in a direction where there were people, those people should vacate. They have what's called video village. Video village is where everyone watches the monitors to see what's being filmed. You could certainly step away from the camera, leave the camera there. No one cares if it gets shot. Nobody gets sued if it gets shot. You owe the insurance company whatever that camera costs. Okay, not cheap, but no fatalities. So if you have to point a gun at the camera, you make sure that everyone is clear of that 180 degree arc or larger in this case, because he was cross drawing, which means that he was moving the gun across a wide arc. And you make sure there's nobody in that arc. And the armorer is standing there right next to the actor, watching where that gun is pointed and barks at them or physically takes them down if they point the gun in an unsafe direction. So there's so many things about the fatality on Russ that that is wrong, right? I mean, you have a small enclosed space with yes. people directly in front of Alec Baldwin behind the camera, and you have live round in that space, and you have a real gun, right? That's a recipe for disaster. The number one rule of gun safety, right? All guns are always loaded until you have personally cleared it. And the gun remains in an unloaded status only while it remains under your control. So that's gun safety 101, right? That you're always to assume that it is a real gun and it's loaded with live rounds unless you check to clear. Right. You personally check it and it only retains that unloaded status while it is in your possession and under your control. We've obviously come to learn that a set armorer has the job of handling guns, right, on set and ensuring gun safety, like you explained. But is that the only person who handles a gun on set or are there others and who are they? So there may be assistance to the armorer that the armorer has trained, that they are familiar with their background, that they know they will equally enforce the rules because you might have a gunfight with 70 or 80 people shooting guns when It's just not time efficient for one person to be able to check all the guns themselves. So there may be a staff of armorers. They can handle the guns. And the actors who are written in as handling guns handle guns as well. That's the only people who should be handling the guns. What is the role of an assistant director or a second assistant director on a set? Well, a good AD makes a movie both safe and efficient and professional. The director's role is really just a creative one to make decisions about how the story is being told, about the experience that we see as an audience. Everything else falls to the AD, the actual mechanics of how the movie gets made, making sure that everything that we need for this scene is here and that everything that we're going to go do this afternoon is also in process so that there's no delays. They are paid to make things run smoothly, and they have responsibility for the safety on the set. This is not the usual suspect who handles a gun, right? No, they, they are not in the chain of command for firearms handling. This is not their job. They have someone that they hired who has expertise in that. Their job is to make sure that the person who they hired, who brings this expertise, is there implementing this expertise. So that brings me to David Hall, the AD on the set, who actually took the gun off a tray and handed it to Alec Baldwin and yelled, cold gun, right? What's a cold gun? 
A cold gun is a gun that has been checked and there's nothing in it. There's no ammo. There's no live, no blank, no dummy, no nothing. It's a cold gun. So if you press the trigger, you just get a click and no bang. And you can only declare a gun as a cold gun if you've personally checked it. It seems that Mr. Hall thought that the name of a gun was cold gun because every time he handled the gun, he was used to hearing cold gun. He definitely did not check the gun himself. In other words, a cold gun contains nothing. nothing. No dummy, no live, no blank. A hot gun. There's something in the magazine or there's something in the cylinder. Does not have to be live, though. Does not have to be live. No. Okay. So basically, an empty gun is a cold gun. A gun with something in it is a hot gun. That's right. Right? But you still have to because check before you, you check say it's it. cold. That's right. For our listeners here, we had an armor who was not there. Great concern about the fact that Hannah Gutierrez Reed, the armor that's 24 years old. Now, I'm not being ageist, but with age comes experience. And this is obviously something that you want to make sure you have somebody with experience handling, you know, guns on set. What kind of training does it take or the scope of the experience you need to be hired on a set as the sole armor with no help? Not to be ageist or sexist, but the ideal armorer would be a grumpy old guy that won't take any crap from anybody, that's not intimidated by Alec Baldwin or anyone else, maybe a former, you know, Marine drill instructor who tells Alec, you know, if you use this gun wrong, I'm going to shove it up your ass and is not afraid to walk off the set if anyone breaks his rules. If that's not intrinsically who he is, that's who he should be playing on the set. That everyone should know, don't mishandle the firearms around this person. Because if you do, they will pack up all their guns and they will leave. So all Gutierrez Reed had is her father. I mean, <laughs> sorry, but I'm going to call a spade a spade. She obviously was around guns on set because of her father's job and reputation. But she herself had done one other film where she was not the only armorer. She was one of the, I think she was an assistant armorer or something like that. And really, that was the extent of her experience. And then she landed in Rust, where she was the only armorer in charge of all the weapons on a Western with multiple hats to wear and things to take care of beyond her armorer duties and just really slim to none experience. If someone doesn't have experience, that is not their fault. If they don't have the knowledge and they didn't have the opportunity to get that knowledge, that is also not their fault. If right. you hire that person to be in charge of potentially lethal situation, that is your fault. That is on you because you chose the cheapest person, not the person who could render the set safe. Just as a reminder for our listeners, this was a Western. You know, when you think of a Western, you think of guns and... A lot of guns. Yeah, shooting. And that's why it was being filmed in Santa Fe. A lot of Western films get filmed in New Mexico. Now, there, there are a lot of things, Steve, that we still don't know about Rust. Namely, the question that Alec Baldwin repeatedly asks in his various interviews, the million dollar question of how live rounds ended up on the set of rest, right? But what we do know and learned early on is that this was a very low budget film with a shortage of crew that were really spread thin, like the armor, and that crew members were doing multiple things and working really long hours and exhausted. What is it like? In terms of gun safety, when you're dealing with a 
smaller budget indies kind of film like Rust? They are significant. People make more mistakes when they are tired. People make more mistakes when they're overworked and their workload is distributed across a variety of areas. We know that this makes things less safe. We're not criticizing you for having a low-budget film. I mean, there are low-budget films. They're still films, right? Right. But you cannot cut corners at the expense of safety. So the shooting itself, walk me through the actions of Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, the armorer that day, leading up to Baldwin's cross-firing scene and the shooting and the bullet that struck Helena Hutchins. Where was she, as far as we know, How did she start the day vis-a-vis the handling of the gun? And then how did the gun end up being given to Baldwin? Well, there's really only two places she could be. On set where she was supposed to be or elsewhere. At the time this happened, she was in the elsewhere place, not in the place where she was supposed to be. And it, it is entirely possible that she was told to be elsewhere. That someone said, we are just rehearsing. We don't need you. When we're ready for the blanks, we'll call you. In the meantime, you know, go help clean up the kitchen or whatever she was sent to do. So then she's put in this position. Do I do what my boss, the producer, just told me to do? Or do I fulfill the roles of the job that I was primarily hired to do? And this creates a lot of conflict. I'm not supposed to leave the guns, you know, but this big famous person just told me to go do something else. What do I do? And that's not a way to run a set. I believe, Steve, that her claim or her defense is that she checked the gun. It only had dummy rounds in it. And she put it on a tray and then sort of relinquished possession and custody of the gun to A.D. David Hall. Is that your understanding? We don't know exactly at what point in the day this happened. We don't know that she actually checked them. And we don't know that people weren't actually firing those guns on breaks. You're out in the middle of the desert. You're in Santa Fe. There's guns. A little target practice. Someone left something in a gun. Nobody checked it. So you're saying in terms of chain of custody, there may have been intermediary use of those guns, even if Hannah, let's say she's absolutely truthful about how she handled it, from the time she left it on the tray to the time that it ended up in A.D. David Hall's hands, there could have been other people, right, that could have accessed those guns. There certainly could have been. And that also would be irrelevant if the guns were checked when they were picked up. And this is why I say this issue of how did the live ammo get on set? Irrelevant. You personally check the gun. Your armorer checks the gun. That's the safeguard that makes sure that there's no live ammo in there. If you skip that step, you better presume that there's live ammo in there. Because if you don't, someone's going to get killed and that's exactly what happened. I see what you're saying. It's sort of a, or what we call in the legal world, red herring. It's like, who cares about the live round that still doesn't absolve you of your duty to check the gun, right? Absolutely. What is the proper protocol if you were to redo this scenario in Rust? What would have been the right way to do this? Every gun checked every time it's handled by the armorer, by Hannah. Anytime she hands someone a gun, she opens it, she looks inside, she makes sure that it's clear. If it's supposed to have dummies in it, she puts them in. If it's supposed to have blanks in it, she puts them in. She hands it to the actor. She shows the actor because the person whose hand is on the gun has ultimate responsibility for what happens with that gun. 
you are responsible for the trajectory and the damage path of anything that comes out of a gun while that gun is in your hands. So knowing that, an actor would want to either see for themselves or have it shown to them that a gun was clear. Then they would instruct the actor according to the director's description of what the action is supposed to be. So the director would tell Hannah, in this scene, I need to see Alec pull the gun out and point it towards camera. Hannah would then go over to Alec and say, Alec, this is what we're going to do. We're going to make exactly this move. We're not going to do anything different from this. The gun goes from A to B. And we're going to make sure that everybody inside that arc is not inside that arc, that they've all been moved to a safe spot. Everything's been cleared. And when we finish this rehearsal and they say, cut on rehearsal, you're going to point the gun down. I'm going to come. I'm going to take the gun from you. I'm going to recheck it because now it's my responsibility. Now that it's in my hands. And then I'm going to put the gun into safe storage. That's how you do it. Nobody gets hurt when you do that. There's so much inspection and checking and also direction that's missing in the scenario, right? That's right. Because it's not just her checking and showing Alec Baldwin. It's also her instructing him on the handling and the firing of the gun, right? That's right. He's supposed to bring his acting chops and she's supposed to bring her knowledge of safe gun handling. When those two get together, you get a cool movie with nobody getting hurt. Alec Baldwin still maintains that he never pulled the trigger, that he only pulled the hammer. And it's been really perplexing for me as well, for most of us, you know, how would a gun go off if you are not pulling the trigger, right? And he's very firm about that. I did not pull the trigger. I pulled the hammer. Can you explain for our listeners how that would mechanically work, where a gun would go off if you're not pulling the trigger? In a properly working gun, which the FBI in their testing verified that this was, it will not go off unless the trigger is depressed. However, the order in which you cock the gun or press the trigger doesn't matter in a single action gun. If you are applying pressure to the trigger and then you pull the hammer back and release it, the gun will go off the same way as if you'd have cocked it first and then pressed the trigger. And so in his mind, it could be true that he didn't press the trigger because he didn't do it after he cocked the gun. But if in the course of the way he was holding the gun, he was pulling he it, was applying pressure mm-hmm. to the trigger, then all he would have to do is pull the hammer back and let it go and it would go off. So does that make sense to you, mechanically speaking, as an expert? Yeah, mechanically, that's that's plausible. How did the death of Helena affect this crew and the Hollywood industry as a whole? And then, of course, the general public. I think the crew was both saddened and angered. Angered because they anticipated that something was going to go wrong and they'd complained about things that had gone wrong previously and nothing had been done. And now someone's dead because of it. And that is outrageous and not in any way justifiable. In terms of the industry, it was a wake-up call that the safety rules must be followed. There is zero flexibility in terms of how these rules are applied. Simultaneously, there's an acknowledgement that these rules have been properly followed millions of times on hundreds of thousands of movies without incident. So the problem is not that the rules are inadequate. The problem is not that the equipment is inadequate. The problem is 
that the rules were broken and the equipment was mishandled. There was a distributor in the mm-hmm. area that provided the guns and the ammunition. And reportedly gave them mixed boxes. Do you think that that person has any liability? He could be charged under trade practices if he sold something that was labeled one way and was really something else. I don't think that's felonious conduct. So let's say she, she loads the gun. It's supposed to be blanks. It's live ammo. Someone gets killed. What is she going to do? Say like, oh, well, it said on the box that it was blanks. Like the box did not get hired to make safety on that set. The person who sold you the ammo was not hired to make the set safe. The armorer is the only person who's supposed to check. From the perspective of a civil wrongful death case for the liability here, or any of the people that are claiming, you know, that there are many people that are plaintiffs that have filed lawsuits besides just Hutchins' family, survivors who settled recently. This is about joint and several liability is what we call it. You don't need to just have one person liable for this death or for the injuries that were caused to other people that were there. You can have multiple people collectively and individually liable for what happened. So from a legal perspective, it could very well be that the gun store owner, the vendor is liable if he mixed things up and he purported to give Hannah only dummy rounds, but also slipped in some live rounds. Okay, he might have some, if it can be proven that that's the case. But then she also has- That's negligence, not manslaughter. Right, it's negligence. And then she also has her part of this, right? A greater part of this is what I want to say. And I appreciate you talking about manslaughter versus negligence versus crime, which I want to get to in a minute, because obviously the DA's office has not filed charges yet, but they can. The statute of limitations is very well in place and it is not lapsed. And so charges can be brought. But Alec Baldwin is very, very certain that charges will not be brought against him. I, as an attorney, as a criminal defense attorney, somewhat agree with him. But I think, you know, the standard of proof is higher. From what I know about the case, I would not be surprised if he's not charged. The armor is a different story. Well, the bar is quite low in New Mexico for the features required to establish manslaughter. manslaughter. Yeah, but a prosecutor still needs to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that these certain elements of the crime of manslaughter were met, right? Is there a rule that says you should not point guns at people? Um, I mean, yeah. Did you point a gun at someone? Yeah. Did that conduct result in a fatality? It did. Was there a reasonable ability to foresee that that conduct could lead to a fatality? That may not be so easy to prove because, again, he will go into, I'm an actor, I'm supposed to be able to rely on the safety of props that are given to me, and that's what I did. And so, again, I'm with you, Steve, in that I would never let my client speak, even if he had a 10% chance of getting charged, right? But he's done that. He speaks quite regularly on and off social media, on TV, on in interviews. But I think there's certainly criminal liability for the armor. I don't know who else. Maybe even David Hall might have some criminal liability because of the criminal negligence. On the criminal side, we also have negligence, except it's criminal recklessness. It's that much worse than regular negligence, you know? If you call cold gun, would a reasonable person believe that the gun was cold? Yes. Yes. 
Would a reasonable person believe that you had checked that gun before you said that? Yes. Okay. And you didn't take the steps before saying that. And that's where the recklessness comes in. That's where the criminal negligence comes in. I definitely think there are people that will get charged in this case, but I don't believe it will be Baldwin in that group. Yeah, I mean, Rust, from you know any perspective, you look at it, it just seems like a recipe for disaster. It was just like a ticking time bomb, you know, and I sit here and hear you talk about all of these things that should have been done that weren't done. It wasn't just like one or two things, you know, and then you got people that are exhausted, people that aren't paid, people that are, you know, documenting safety issues. I mean, it was just bad all around, you know, and like you said earlier, you can do a low budget film, but you don't put people at risk of death because it's a low budget. And nowhere in the safety rules does it say, you know, these four rules apply to movies above this budget and movies below this right. budget. You don't have a to- specific safety protocol for low budget films. It's the same safety protocol across the board. That is right. I would charge Hannah for the dereliction of duty, which led to an unsafe condition that caused a fatality. I would charge David Hall for touching the gun in the first place, stepping out of his lane, declaring a cold gun without having checked it. I would charge Alec for taking a gun that he did not know the condition of and pointing it at somebody. You would. I would. Okay. Because ultimately, we have to agree as a society that the people who are holding guns are responsible for the damage done by those guns. Irrespective of their... It is not the gun manufacturers. Mm -hmm. It is not the lobbyists in Washington. It's the people who kill people who have ultimate accountability. but I'm going to push back on that because this is a movie set. This is not real life. It is a set of a movie where he's playing a role. And as an actor, to some extent, he's supposed to be able to rely on the safety of props given to him. So that's where I see the difference between holding the person who's pulling the trigger accountable no matter what versus except we're not in real life. But as the producer, he hired the least experienced armor that he could find. I, listen, Steve, I think as a yeah. producer, he definitely carries civil liability. And there's a reason why he settled the case and he's still fighting his case with respect to the other claimants or plaintiffs. I'm not sure that's where you and I don't see the same way as his you know, criminal liability. We, we, could, we could see it that way. If I handed a gun to somebody and I said, cold gun, and they pointed it at somebody and that person died, I would believe that it was my responsibility that that death occurred. because. I didn't check the gun before I gave it to them. I have no doubt they will prosecute, but I also know that when DAs file charges, they look at how their case will pan out at trial. That's right. And so that foreseeability is whether they can prove their case in every element of the offense beyond a reasonable doubt. That is the highest standard of proof in our justice system. And so while the elements of manslaughter may be not as restrictive as some other state laws, you know, manslaughter, but the standard of proof is still the same. It's beyond a reasonable doubt. And so this DA has to be certain that she can prove every element of manslaughter under New Mexico law beyond a reasonable doubt as to every person she's charging. And I don't believe that she can do that with respect to Alec Baldwin as much as he is the trigger puller. (laughs) And, you know, he's a trigger puller who's an actor on set, which to a large degree, makes them different than a regular trigger puller. But I think, is she going to prosecute? Absolutely. It's a question of who, to me. Yeah, I think that as DAs advance their careers, 
they don't get very far with the cases at which they fail. So I think that there is certainly some thought going into this. You know, sure. Don't bring the case unless you're sure you can win it. And I think that's what we'll see play out over the coming months. I agree. All right, Steve, thank you so much for joining our podcast today. I look forward to talking to you more about this as the case unfolds. Thank you so much, Sarah. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Hey, guys, welcome to Sarah's Sidebar on Rust. You know, speaking to Steve Wolf was so incredibly informative. And I think all of us recording the podcast learned a little bit from him. I hope that the listeners do, too. But I have to say, he had me thinking. And there were things that he sort of triggered in me that I didn't quite agree with. And I want to share with you why. It's not that one of us is wrong or the other one's right at all. We're both right. But I want you to understand from a legal perspective how something like this plays out in a courtroom where Steve's point of view is really from the perspective of a prop master and safety on set. And that is the idea of this golden rule, this gun safety 101, where he says it's irrelevant that there's live ammunition on set. There could be live ammunition. There's no problem with having live ammunition. It slips in. And he says this idea that so many people, including Alec Baldwin, blame whoever introduced live ammunition on the set of Rust is irrelevant. It's a red herring. I disagree. I think it might be irrelevant to Steve as a prop master and an expert, but is absolutely relevant in a courtroom. And I'll tell you why. I want our listeners to understand the theory of joint and several liability. In a lawsuit, in a courtroom, where you have multiple people who have duties that they failed to carry out, or they did things that they were not supposed to do, where you have all this finger pointing that you have in the case of the Rust set, there's more than just one person liable. So we're not talking about mutually exclusive liability. So with all due respect to Steve, the person who introduced the live ammunition on the set of Rust is liable, but that doesn't mean that the violation of that golden rule of gun safety 101, whatever you want to call it, that doesn't mean that that's excused. No, that person is also liable. So you can have Hannah Gutierrez Reed, the obvious person liable here. You can have the person who introduces the live round on set liable, and you can have everyone else who has handled that gun or anything that went into that gun who carries liability also liable. And again, neither one of us is wrong or right. It's more about Steve is speaking specifically as to gun safety on set. And I'm saying in a courtroom, things are a little different. Liability is a little bit broader than this sort of macro view that Steve adopted in his conversation with me. The second point that came up in this interview, and I respect Steve's position on, is this idea that the safety ratio is so low with respect to having a real gun on a film set, with respect to having live ammunition on a film set, that Hollywood's not really going to bother making any changes after this fatality, that the fatalities are slim to none. They're so rare that we don't really need to take any steps. I think one life is too many to lose on a set of a movie. It is unacceptable and changes are necessary in Hollywood. Why do we need a real gun? 
when a prop gun looks exactly the same and can give you the same effect in front of the camera. You know, you cannot kill somebody on a set of a film, period, end of story. And so even after my conversation with Steve, I'm thinking, no, you don't need a real gun and you don't need a live round on a set of a movie. It's unnecessary. I don't care what the ratio is. Get rid of it. That's it for this episode of Death by Fame. Please be sure to join me next week when I'm joined by Dr. Alice Berkowitz and Alex Romero to discuss the bombshell defamation trial between Amber Heard and Johnny Depp. It's never just one person's fault. I mean, we can look at blame, we can look at responsibility, but clearly they both had a lot of responsibility in this. Don't miss it. Death by Fame is produced by Ample Entertainment for ID. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love for you to take a second and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.